The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. At the exaltation and the beauty of the resurrection of Christ and everything that it causes people to do, I think there are some really wonderfully humorous resurrection-laced events taking place in this gospel for today that we might just pass over. But I want you to look at it. Do you have that gospel in front of you? I think it's written there somewhere. And it's John chapter 20. And obviously we could have chosen the gospel reading for resurrection from any of the gospels. This is the one that's selected for us today. And oh, I'm so glad. You've got Mary Magdalene here. You came to the tomb early, still dark. And then she saw in her astonishment that the stone had been taken away. You know, they were concerned, weren't they? Who's going to roll the stone away for us? A great concern of the women who so beautifully cared for Christ even in his death. And they came and that miracle had already taken place. And can't you imagine in your own wonderfully childish way how the angel rolls that stone away. It's still dark. I don't know which angel it was. Maybe it was Gabriel. But anyway, the angel comes to the stone and says, man, that's a big one. <laughs> and takes his little finger and just goes flip. And the stone rolls away. And now there is access again to the Lord Jesus Christ who's about to astound the world with his new and forever presence. And when Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been rolled away, she was just absolutely astounded to find out that there was nobody in the tomb. And so she runs to Peter, it says, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you know who that is? The other disciple is who? John, this young man, the one to whom Jesus gave his mother on the cross. Son, behold your mother. Remember that? And so now this John running with Peter. And one thing you know about Peter and John is that Peter's a lot older. He probably was in his 30s, I suppose, and John maybe 18, 19, I don't know, but younger. And the two of them ran to the tomb. And I have no idea how far it was. I'm sure somebody figures that out. I don't know. But they run to the tomb and John gets there first. I think that's kind of fun. When you think of Peter <laughs> trying to catch up with young John. John's over there by the church door that far away. And Peter's panting. John, wait for me. Wait for me. Because his old body can't keep up. But John gets there first, and just like that door is open over there, so the tomb door, the stone, is open, and John looks in. He doesn't go in, but he just looks. And, oh, what does he see? And in a moment, Peter catches up breathlessly. And as Peter always does, he moves forward, and he goes into the tomb, and he looks around. And what does he see? I suppose the grave clothes were scattered, probably on the floor of the tomb. And he's beholding this miracle. And then he notices 
something so incredible. Did you catch it? That which had covered the face of Jesus. What does the scripture say? It was in another place over there, neatly folded up. Now, what do you think of that? I think Jesus folded it up. And I think as Jesus was striding out of the tomb, he stopped. And he could only hear his mother say, clean up your room. So he goes, okay, mom, turns around, puts that napkin in place and smiles and says, what are they gonna think of this? And here we are decades, centuries later, still thinking about that wonderful gift that Jesus gave us to show that he's really in charge of the situation. And he strides out and he meets Mary and all the others. And he tells them, you tell the disciples to go to Galilee and I'll see them there. I love that. Jesus loved Galilee. That's kind of a second rate place, you know, in the days of the old New Testament. Samaritans lived up there and some other people and it was far from the seat of power, which was Jerusalem. But Jesus chose that out of the way place to meet with his disciples later. And when he did meet with them, he met with them on the hill and he gave them this great blessing and this command. And he tells them as he tells his church, you go therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, don't you love that word? Lo, I will be with you always. And that's the promise of our resurrected Lord to his church, to Ascension Lutheran Church, as you are about to embark on a new journey here with Pastor Mark and beautiful Bonnie. All the wonderful ministry that can take place when you all gather together and say, Jesus has told us to go out and to baptize and teach. So by golly, let's do it. And the Lord places his benediction over that. It's interesting and beautiful that Jesus says baptize people. We've talked about baptism here in this church and is the chairman of our church here this morning? I can't quite, there he is. And the poor guy was sitting in the front row and I went up to him and I grabbed his hand. Do you remember that? Some of you. And I didn't let go of his hand and he started blushing. <laughs> But the idea was that that's what happens to us in our baptism when God takes hold of us and grabs our hand and will not let us go. And if perchance we pull away from that baptismal grasp of God, he does not withdraw his hand. He's always there to take us back into the covenant which he has made with us in baptism. And by the way, if there are some here who are not baptized, please talk to Pastor Mark. We got plenty of water around here and the word of God is enough. Think about your baptism for a minute. 
on this Easter Sunday, what could be better than to remember what St. Paul said about your baptism? In the book of Ephesians, he speaks so beautifully about us and reminds us that in our baptism, we are connected to Christ. In the, in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, beautiful words about your baptism. And your baptism is that which connects you forever to the life of Jesus, to the death of Jesus, and to the resurrection of Jesus. And you who are baptized have that eternal life brimming through you, that life which came to be when Jesus strode out of the tomb in all of his majesty as the victorious Lamb of God. He gives you his life, and that is never taken from you. And so we walk through this world as people who are marked. You can't touch me. You can't hurt me, Satan, because I have the mark of Christ on me. The cross was traced on me in my baptism, and it's still there. I was thinking about the cross of baptism and the fact that we make the sign of the cross. And I don't know who first started that, but I think maybe God did. And I think it took place at a time that we may not even think of. Do you remember the terrible story of Abel and his brother Cain? That story where Abel and Cain and Abel went out and offered sacrifices to God. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, the Lord chose Abel's offering. Do you remember that? But not Cain's. And Cain was furious with God. And he hated his brother. And what did he do to his brother? He murdered him. And then God comes later and says, Cain, where's your brother? He says, how would I know? And God revealed to Cain that God knew exactly what had happened. And he cast him away. And Cain was driven out from the presence of his parents, I suppose, and, and God, as it were, into the land of Nod. And Cain says in his agony and his forsakenness, what's going to happen to me now? And God said, I'll protect you. Isn't that an incredible promise of God to a murderer? And the Lord, it says, placed his mark on the forehead of Cain. Do you remember that story? And I can remember old Dr. Rares way back in seminary days, the Hebrew man, just incredible scholar, a man with a great heart of Christ. And he said, boys, because we were all boys. He said, do you know what that mark of Cain looks like? No. He said, it looks like this. And his opinion was based on other things that I can't go into now. But isn't that an incredible thought that even in those days, before anything virtually had happened in the history of this world, God places his mark on people. And that mark sustained evil, forgiven Cain. 
and he prospered even in the land of Nod because God put his mark on him and so you and I. With God's mark on our forehead placed there in our baptism and by his constant presence, we are preserved and cared for and protected and loved all because of the resurrection of Christ and what he has done for us. Today is April 17th, is that right? This is an anniversary. It's an anniversary about which none of you know. I know you don't. How could you know about Mori Sensei? She was a Japanese lady. Her name was Mori Yasuko. And she was our brilliant teacher of the Japanese language so many decades ago when some of us went there. And she taught us methodically and meticulously the mysteries of the Japanese language. But she was not a Christian. And some of us really loved her. We were scared to death of her, but we loved her. She was so faithful to us and she would teach us the Japanese way of writing, which some of you know borrows Chinese script. And many of those ideographs, they're called kanji, you look at them and you can tell they're pictures of something. And she would explain it to me and Clifford Horn. We were in class together most of the time. And one day she was teaching us the kanji or the ideograph for the word faith. And I wish I could illustrate it for you. But it's a picture of a man. And he's standing next to something else that we happen to know represents the word of God. And in that ancient language, it goes back, I suppose, before the days of Job, I don't know, is the ideograph for faith, which is illustrated in that ancient language by a person leaning on the word of God. And Morty Sensei explained this to Clifford and me. And she said something like, isn't it beautiful? And Clifford and I, we looked at each other and began to wonder about Morty Sensei's faith. Is she maybe a Christian and doesn't tell anyone? And so it went on. Many times as we were studying that language with her, she would show us these incredible, incredible things. By the way, there's a word for flood in that ancient language. And when you write it out in Chinese script, which the Japanese people often use, you see that it's a picture of a boat with eight people in it. And Morty Sensei would teach us this and she would look at us and she'd say, Omoshiroi desu ne? Interesting, she'd say. And Clifford and I would look at each other and say, is she a believer? Well, the years went by and finally it was time for my family and I to leave Japan. We got on the Oriental Pearl, an old ship that took us to America. And as our ship was leaving, many people came to say goodbye. And as they were on the dock and we were on the ship, we sang, God be with us till we meet again in Japanese, of course. 
but one of those who came to see us off that day was Mori Sensei. And she came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she said, I had hoped that maybe you would be the one to baptize me. And I left Japan with a heavy, heavy heart. The years went by and a missionary former went over to Japan to visit. And he was a favorite of Mori Sensei, some of us were. And he went to see her and he carried his little Japanese liturgy book with him just in case. And he visited her in Atami, Japan. And he said to her in her room, Mori Sensei, I would like to baptize you. And she said, Hi, Onegaishimas, which means yes. She was baptized in that hotel room. And back in those days in 1987, 1988, the word spread around the world that Mori Sensei had been baptized. For her, it was like a day of resurrection, I suppose. And for all of us who know and loved her, we thank God for the power of the gospel that had reached deep into this brilliant woman's heart and had slowly and gradually brought her to faith. She died some years later and she was buried from the Tokyo Lutheran Center by Dr. George Shibata, beautiful sermon. And in that service, they read a letter that she had written. And among other things, she said, it took me a long time to realize that Jesus was my savior and my resurrected Lord. I guess I was too proud, but now I know that he is my Lord and my God. Today, on April 17th, this is the anniversary of her death. And I can't help but thinking about Morty Sensei and all the other people throughout this universe who have been saved by the, the, the beautiful, beautiful, quiet, powerful word of God, which came out of that tomb on Easter morning and said, I've come here to give you life and life eternal. So Easter's a beautiful time. This congregation has been like an Easter beacon to many people through the world. And most of you don't know that this congregation way back in the 60s, I think it was about 1963 and four and some of five, every Sunday you took up an offering from the Sunday school. And that Sunday school offering was sent to my church in Yokohama, Japan at Izumi Lutheran Church. And the Sunday school was partially responsible for the installation of, of a heating system in that church, which still stands in Yokohama, beautiful, beautiful building. And the people there still proclaim the faith of the Lord Jesus. And somewhere, by the way, in your archives, you've got a letter from the Sunday school at Izumi Lutheran Church. As I recall, it was written in English, translated from Japanese. So you folks have 
been a great beacon of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us in the church, thank you. And as you look forward to your future, well, I do so with great anticipation. This is a new day, a new chapter. You've got a new leader. And what's more important, he's got a beautiful wife. She's a new bower. And you know what that means at Ascension Lutheran Church. It's been good being with you. God bless you all. Amen.